hello and welcome to the sixth and final podcast in this series of um, interviews with MA students and PhD students in the geography department at Maynooth. Today we're talking to John Bowen and his research which is on Intel and its uh, relationship with um, with Ireland and in the context of, of Ireland's FDI economic policy since the sort of 50s, 60s, um, and specifically Intel's relationship with Leakslip, Maynooth and that kind of wider catchment area where it's been it's been based and has had quite a strong presence. So John, uh, thanks for joining us and talking to us about your work. Um, maybe you could just start by saying a little bit about how you got drawn into the, the topic. Um, what caught your interest? Um, yeah, well, so I've been kind of living in Maynooth for the past like six or seven years now. It's kind of like it's, it's one or the other. But um, like for like while I've been here, I've always kind of been aware of the passive presence of Intel in like Maynooth itself, as well as kind of like the other towns. You'd be getting the bus into Dublin. You'd see like you'd pass the plant. You kind of go to Leak Slipper Celebridge. You'd see signs around for things. The company is sponsored. Um, again, in Manu alone, you know, there's like computers provided to the university, stamped with the the Intel kind of company logo. You've got like the in, in the university again. There's a co-founded Innovation Value Institute, um, which is meant to like you know lead people towards participating in like foreign direct investment schemes and working with multinationals. Um, and there's even compactor bins lying in the main street of Manu, all have the Intel logo on them, sponsored by the company, provided by the company. And to the tidy towns, so like the social power of the company became really apparent to me when I attended um, the largest climate strike rally in Maynooth Town Square there in 2019. So towards the end of that rally, um, someone made an attempt to kind of introduce kind of more radical kind of like socialist type arguments to the event, and kind of that was towards the end. But as this began to happen, and the person made reference to our our big neighbours down the road, um, the mic was kind of cut. Um, and it kind of petered off. It was a deliberate kind of the mic was just switched off, kind of like we can't go there. And there was kind of an attempt to challenge that, and nothing really came out of it. Um, and again, I got very confused probably about the happening. You could obviously have your suspicions about like, oh god, that's like um, paranoia, but oh, until people protecting the company or whatever. But um, they look at the main composition then of the, of the the organizers of that climate rally. I feel like this is kind of like well afterwards now. Uh, one attendee online um, talked about how in Maynooth, where they strike now, each Friday, the group Climate Action Group comes out brought, uh, through a coalition of lo- the local parish, um, like church groups, schools, university, tidy towns, and other campaign groups. Um, and then kind of afterwards, I started looking into the funding of those groups, which I'll get to later. But basically, as the ecological crisis worsens, um, and we start to think about how we feel the sharp end of that here in the global north, particularly around, like, say, COVID-19. As just one example of that, we have to start thinking about where antagonisms exist locally between extractive and resource-intensive corporations and the environment. So for me, like, I wanted to do this kind of case study, Intel plants in Leakslip, um, because it kind of offers a view into a complex web of relations. From the state's FDI-dependent approach to development, the space left for these corporations to by their social license to operate in our communities. Um, I think this analysis would be necessary as like social, economic, and environmental contradictions sharpen. And then Intel can't really, there'll be a point where Intel can't really rest on its laurels of this kind of utopian or Keynesian economic growth model in the town. 
Great, thanks. And I, I you know, I, I know that we're going to get more into the that complex web of relations um, later in the interview. But maybe to start with, um, you could say a little bit about, um, I guess, this FDI uh, economic strategy of the state and, um, you know, the history of of Intel's relationship with the state, like when it came to Ireland, um, uh, you know, what it does. Um, what its activities are, maybe how they've changed over over time. Um, uh, yeah, just to give us a bit of a, a context. Yeah, and I mean that was um, to to one degree I, that was kind of the hardest point I found starting off was identifying what are the existing sources of literature on say what the plant does um, and why too. There's not an awful lot written on particularly the leaks of plants in Intel. Besides, like, there's a, there's a wide uh, swathe of Journal, journalistic articles like in the Irish Times, The Independent, um, and besides that, it's you're mostly trawling through reports um, by the EPA, by like kind of the hazard kind of groups that like, do like hazard um, reports and that kind of assessments. So, I yeah, there's there's solid examples of the toxic effects of Intel plants in other parts of the world. Uh, again, uh, this FDI-driven approach elsewhere, it's like this strategy, these multinationals. And again, we can see that this kind of thing is very much tied to, it's like a neo-colonial um, remnant or like continuation of that legacy. Because the place where Intel is worse, um, it has the worst effects on like the local ecosystem and human health are, is planned in occupied Palestine and in New Mexico. Um, and then, <clears throat> of course, then we turn to like Ireland, where it, it came here in like the late 80s, kind of off the back of the identification of Superfund sites in the U.S., so yeah, these are sites for the manufacture of semiconductors and microchips, which is what Intel's plant leaksip does. Um, so in, in America, these toxic chemicals used to clean the parts had leaked into the ground in massive quantities, uh, one of which is like um, tri- trichlorethylene, which are the cleaning agents linked to increased risks of forms of cancer and developmental disabilities. Um, so yeah, so Intel comes to Ireland in the late 89, sets up fully in 90, like, at a point where like environmental issues, um, yeah, they're starting to kind of bubble up a bit more, but they're kind of far from prominent in a mainstream discourse in a lot of ways. Um, and many multinationals were seeing the country as one for the state and its regulatory regulatory regime relax, kind of a pollution haven where corporations could avail of almost non-existent tax rates, and the the state would essentially turn a blind eye because like the jobs offered by these corporations, um. So yeah, as Ireland entered into the 90s, this kind of relatively young state was moving towards an economic boom, you know, kind of coming into like the, so things are starting to look better for the country, you know, we're one of the best places to do business and all that kind of crack. But this shift from one of Europe's poorest nations to one of its wealthiest was kind of looked to as a model for the neoliberal development of other small EU states, which saw our island nation as transforming itself from occupying like a semi-peripheral location becoming an export-led climber within the national hierarchy. And what made Ireland one of those best countries to do business? Um, and it's, it's this attractive regime of foreign direct investment promoted by the STEM state body, the Industrial Development Authority. So yeah, the, the, in, in 89-90, the idea is very focused on getting Intel um, into LeakSip in the Collinstown Industrial Park. There, they developed a grant package of around 87 million uh, Irish pounds at the time and it's like a figure you can get in different places including from developers that were involved in that initial construction 
but that that package was used to ward off their Scottish rivals. So at the Minister for Industry and Commerce at the time, Desmond O'Malley, was um you could hear him in RT RT archives with some great resources on this at, at the time getting the hype for Intel coming in, the jobs are going to be happening, this like transformation of the Irish economy. But Desmond O'Malley, anyway, talks about how it's expensive to get these jobs. If you're going for the best in the world in terms of technology and high-grade employment, you're going to have to pay money for it. And people are throwing around the figure at the time of around 17,000 Irish pounds for each of the 2,600 jobs. So that's the state paying grant money in to get these jobs there. It's not just jobs coming in, it's the state actually buying these jobs. Intel as well, in another interview in 1989 with RTE, just lays out the reasons why they chose to up in Ireland. And those are the economy, the stability that's here, um, and the government's interest in having us here, as, along with the existence of the infrastructure that's necessary. So these kind of things, there's this, this, this concentrated effort from a state that espouses economic stability, political stability, and also completely opening itself up to these kind of um, multinational corporations coming in. <clears throat> and again, you know, just to finish on that, then like you talked, you asked for about briefly what actually happens in the plant. Um, but it's really, it's actually quite difficult to find accurate and in-depth research on that because of the speed of technical developments in the industry. So you actually, it's very hard to get long-term studies on all the health effects of the different chemicals used and processes used because these change slightly over time. Um, and then also there's like a you got an iron tight kind of regime of trade secrecy, secrecy within like the semiconductor manufacturer industry. But we can find like a certain studies like there are a few that are out there around like the health impacts of semiconductor production. And um, so this one that I was reading by um, Kim, Kim and Dom Young, uh, they kind of break it down the work process into water manufacturing, fabrication, and packaging and testing. And each of those steps are different sub-processes with water fabrication highlighted for its required material deposition. It's kind of got these different processes, etching and doping, which require an assortment of different organic solvents, acids and metals. Um, and the side effects of these range from simple irritation to the skin to more serious um, kind of carcinogenic effects reproductive toxins and neurotoxins and again the reason why we don't hear too much about that as well is the industry positions itself very much as a clean one thanks that was a that was a really detailed overview I, a couple of questions i mean one would be in terms of the the infrastructure that is required for something like intel um you know besides the land that it's built on um, which is in the industrial, the Collinswood industrial um, estate or industrial park. But it, there's a lot of water, as, as far as I understand, required for the production of semiconductors. And presumably uh, that water, once it's been used, has some of these the residues of these chemicals and so on. So then that has to be treated. And I don't know if you've in your research been able to find much about um the extent to which these infrastructures had to be put in place for Intel or, you know, by the state or to, to what extent they they basically had to build their own their own infrastructures themselves. Um, yeah, that's a, a brilliant question. I think that um, <clears throat> a lot of these like, multinational corporations are incredibly resource intensive. Um, and again, like Intel talked about that infrastructure at the time, there was like a heavy push to develop um leak slip and kind of areas surrounded it and it's commuter belt around Dublin and it's kind of quite hard to pin down 
how much of that is about providing people's needs or how much of it is for the thing I mentioned earlier about these packages the idea develop and to what extent the state is willing to invest in order to have something on the table to offer these companies um, as a way of competing with their rivals in Europe. So if we look at the most recent hazard reports for like the Intel site expansion not only are like all of these like these incredibly dangerous chemicals present in the manufacturing process in Leakslip and um, the, the, the ones here like marked as having the potential to cause damage to organs to prolong the repeated exposure um, and other health effects to humans and land mammals but particularly these some of these chemicals pose substantial risk to the water-based life in the immediate ecosystem and according to that hazard report for the site the chemicals present in certain aspects of production process are designated as one in particular is like h412 which is harmful to aquatic life with long-lasting effects another like h400 is very toxic to aquatic life so the h412 chemicals are present in the outgoing wastewater the metal contaminated water streams and um, while the h400 is attached to the use of um andrinus ammonia which is used is used in that kind of the the insulating process and creating chemical barriers and semiconductors um so these things are here they're used in the process it did with particularly dangerous aquatic life are present in the outgoing wastewater um which you know intel could talk a big game about oh you reclaim x and y amount of water we produce these are our various filtration and cleaning systems but i guess we've kind of observed across the world with um various disasters and industrial plants that kind of teeters on the knife edge of like what if um and also that of course these companies don't really want to measure long-term effects and impacts of their own production processes um yeah 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 absolutely and the other thing i think about there is the you know uh which is a kind of a thornier question and not just about intel but like you say the the kind of experience that we've learned from uh you know toxic chemical waste particularly in the kinds of effects of chemicals particularly since the 60s really since rachel carson silent spring is that they're they're it, it, it's so complex and there's so much uncertainty and to imagine that you know in ireland it's the epa with limited resources are going to be able to you know uh, monitor assess ensure that you know the chemicals that are used in this process are like kept within the the narrow uh, uh, you know activities that they are being designated to be used for and that they are they are dealt with properly at the end of their 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 useful life or whatever is um is is it's hard to kind of put your faith in you know um, yeah, I mean, and that's just a question about the, the the kinds of the limits of of not just the limits of science but i guess the limits of of a regulatory framework um, which we've seen time and again has been shown to be you know have gaps and holes and and ultimately the the implications of that is it's people's people get sick you know people die and so on and yeah and you have to one of the big questions i can ask myself a lot is who has like the most power in these situations is it like the massive multinational corporation with the backing of the idea with like the the, the plethora of you know quote unquote jobs they create you know, could these figures are hyped up as well to like claim that these industries are focal points for like a whole range of other industries dependent on them um, and that kind of massive economic power or compared to the regulatory power of the EPA um, it, it's kind of a David and Goliath situation in a lot of ways and it, it's not entirely 
reasonable, I think, to expect the EPA to be able to like completely compete with that, um, given like the, the, the climate that's there. But even like there, there aren't really a lot of like public reports of even local people experiencing or witnessing serious health impacts. They're often like dismissed as crazy, as kind of like kind of paranoid, um, delusional, or in different ways, or just kind of they feature as footnotes in kind of planning submissions in Telemaic. But so yeah, as I was saying about um, look at local people and their relationship to the effects of the plant and the land. And there is the famous example of Thomas Reed with that documentary, Lonely Battle of Thomas Reed, that came out there a few years ago. And he's like been famously having like a one man battle with Intel. And the idea over there, like, <clears throat> desire to purchase his land through using state powers in order to like allow Intel to expand their plant. Um, and while he kind of won his initial case and kind of protected his land, the Intel plant is still going to expand because the state is going to push through them to buy more land. That's kind of going underway at the moment. But I think the important thing about like these people who challenge or are willing to tell stories and willing to fight the battles on the grounds of their lived experience is a very like contentious one. Um, it puts them in a very difficult position, often kind of outsidering them or like othering them in different ways. So one of the few examples of people's like fear or experience of the toxic effects of Intel is in like <clears throat> 2000. Where, like there's a, a couple of articles very short ones one like the irish independent published with the headline air pollution to blame for cattle deaths claims farmer um so like 22 cattle belonging to a leaks farmer died from pneumonia and were showed to have horrendous lungs while others died from meningitis and leukemia after many had joints different enough similar to arthritis like chronic arthritis so <clears throat> the farmer in question was like widely seen to be producing very high stock and he was claiming that some form of airborne chemical pollution was responsible for the death of his animals. While your local councillors were saying there were rumours that other farms were affected. So there's a very kind of like shadowy, kind of hush-hush nature to this. So Intel and the other neighbouring factory, Hewlett-Packard, denied any allegations of use, use of sulphur dioxide and pollution from their plant causing the animal deaths. So like the EPA backs up that claim uh, as well. But the point made by the local veterinary surgeon um, when he examined the animals and noted their immunosuppression, um, said there was a striking resemblance between this and the case in Ashkeaton. And so Ashkeaton is a small town in County Limerick, where the Organish Aluminia bauxite refinery complex made the headlines in the mid-90s, with hundreds of animals dying on farms located in the shadow of the plant, and mud left full of chemicals. And where the Irish EPA, you know, um, could have, in a sense, worked with the company, to blame the pollution on bad farming practices. Um, so the reference to that situation there in 2000 by this vet, I think is really important and it raises a litany of really good questions on the reliability of the EPA in the context of large scale FDI and the process of proven pollution and quantifying health within a bureaucratic and profit focused system. And that main thing of whose voices are listened to when it comes to these rural communities in conflict with, in conflict with these high tech industrial corporations maybe just to move on um from that that set of questions because we're you know we've got a limited amount of time i just wanted to you know talk more about the 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 specific geography i guess of intel so we've talked about ireland and how intel was brought to ireland and it's part of this national sort of fdi economic strategy but it's set up in um 
in Kildare. And, you know, in a sense, Intel's sort of the history of Intel is very much synonymous with the development of these kinds of commuter towns, these kind of estates, residential, you know, uh, which were kind of built, as far as I know, also from the kind of 80s onwards or developed from the 1880s onwards. And there is something quite specific about their relationship then, which is maybe quite unique in the Irish context. And I know that you've tried to you know, think about this as um, uh, resembling the kind of company town, uh, you know, which we think about particularly in, in the US or maybe in, in the UK. So I was wondering if you could maybe say something about that relationship. And I think that relationship is, you know, becomes particularly interesting when we think about the kinds of hazards. I mean, we've just described the potential toxic uh, uh, effects of, of Intel, but that seems so far removed from what most people's perceptions of Leak Slip, Selbridge, kind of Kildare are, which is this very kind of settled, you know, uh, you know, peaceful um, uh, uh, kind of suburban place. And, I, you know, I think that there's something interesting in that juxtaposition, which you might be able to, um, you know, uh, elaborate on a bit more. Yeah, I think it's like, as I give it a starting point to that, of getting into like the, that wider like social context, it's felt in a very day to day level, like occasionally you, you, you just crash into like the infrastructural side of it, of how, how much of like our roads, our water, our electricity are kind of molded around the presence of the plants. Um, so even... Before doing this research, I didn't really realise that Intel consumed about 6.8 million metres cubed of water uh, a year, like last year, according to EPA reports. And I'm like, turning on my tap the last two days, and it's got a very next to no water pressure. I can <laughs> I'm struggling to get water um, because of, like upgrades to the plants. We're going to have power outages soon because there's like um, a 50 million euro. Um, development going on to increase their power capacity for their new plant expansion as well so we're going to have power outages there as well and um, their roads Intel the company are developing the roads not the county council but um yeah so you get this idea that they have a, a really concrete role in defining the infrastructure of our everyday lives that we need to just like get ourselves to today um, and into the next one but like with their Operation League Slip. They're like the largest, long run, longest running employer in the area since uh, the closure of the meat plant in League Slip in the early 80s. So Intel will we'll consider influence in the community, like aside from just that direct infrastructural element. So under their influence, I, I, I would see League Slip and kind of the surrounding catchment area is fitting into a very loose model of the company town. Um, it, it's kind of there's it, kind of contention with the kind of what that means specifically, but um, it, it reading um Borges and Torres's company towns, labor space, and power relations across time and continents. There are there's a couple of things this can fit into. Like it doesn't have to be the mining town, the mill town, but it could be like these single industry towns in where the company acts as significant um influential and has and wields a lot of um not only economic power but a sizable amount of social power too. So Borges and Torres write on the specific former company town as one containing a single dominant industry, Intel, located on the outskirts of larger cities, the Intel catchment area of Newt, Selbridge and Leakslip, like I often referred to as West Dublin, as growing out of rural villages. So the trains didn't stop in Leakslip until 1989 with Intel's arrival, and now that Louisa Bridge station is one of the busiest ones. 
um, and where the company might have a strong presence in other sectors of local society, such as politics and urban services. So this dependence on a limited number of employers, the dependence on a limited number of employers in the area, along with the company's provision of services for their employees, have recreated dynamics which are starkly similar to older forms of tidy defined company towns. These mining or mill towns I mentioned a minute ago. So when we consider the power of the power in the town of Leakslip, there's no doubt that Intel Axe is one of those key influences in the community, contributing a significant amount of money and resources to local community groups, local schools, charities and infrastructure projects. In this particular web of class relations in Ireland, the way in which classes are configured at community level, distinct spheres of influence exist in which different categories of influentials hold and wield power. Business influentials like Intel do not only wield power as economic influentials, but they wield political and cultural power as economic influentials. So they don't only wield their power as the thing they are, but they also wield other forms of power as this economic business and way of being as something kind of taken from the work of kind of uh, anthropologist called Chris Iper, who's written a lot on like power in small Irish towns. Um, so Intel wins influence with local community groups through two main programs, which they allocate funding to the projects and operations of the groups. Intel involved matching grant program and Intel Pride of Place. So in 2019, Intel gave out about 45,000 euro to community organizations through the latter competition. And like a few examples of that is like the Tidy Towns in Eakslip got four grand to develop a tree trail to promote biodiversity, to educate local people on the role of trees and mitigating climate change. The Leaks of Men's Sheds, um, a community organisation that provides space for men to develop relationships and share craft skills, was given four grand to purchase high quality tools. And the North Kildare Educate Together schools were given five grand to resurface an outdoor play area so that it could be used by autistic children in the school. So you can see there, like just by listing the other three examples, there's much more on Intel's own site for that competition. But you can see why, going back to the beginning of the plant, um, Leaks the president seem universally positive about the Intel's impact on the community. So the company can step in to fill the gap left by the neoliberal state. And instead of forcing austerity like the state, Intel backs environmentalism, supports retired and older men and autistic children. So to map out the personal connections of those whom Intel has benefited through this project, mothers, fathers, grandparents, children, their various social circles who have seen these kind of boons and benefits delivered down from corporate heights. We, we, we tangibly see the power that Intel could mobilise in the community if it felt that its position, its profits were under threat in some way. So Intel works on crafting the local communities into spaces of cooperation instead of conflict as a way of transcending labour capital confrontation. And this is, that's kind of the company town, the kind of Borges and Torres we're talking about. And that matching grant programme then is another weird one where and they encourage Intel employees to do volunteer work in the community. And for every hour worked, they give a donation of 10 euro. So it, it's kind of, they, according to Intel themselves, their workforce volunteered 140,000 hours of labour to 278 groups across 23 counties in 2019. So again, they're filling this gap left by the retreat of the Irish state from the community and voluntary sector, a sector the state itself worked tirelessly to decimate. And then they, they, they kind of they claim that their programme has been the equivalent of 36 people working full time in the community sector. And so whether it be improvements to the local church or schools in Leakslip, providing these schools with Intel power technology, investment in the local youth centre, or even better lighting, footpa um, public lighting, footpaths and roads, 
And again, going back to those bins I mentioned at the very start, high-tech bins in the streets, one can find a wide range of sources where people from Intel think positively, positively of and attribute a great deal to the existence of, um, like in air quotes here, the plant in their community. That's, uh, yeah, that's, you know, you've really fleshed out the kind of thickness of um, of Intel's, you know, it, it's not even a relationship, as you said. It, it's almost like, you know, Intel is, 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 is so much part of the fabric. Um, it's, it's, it's so difficult to even think about how you disaggregate it. And I guess now we're, we're getting to the end is, is that that's the question I'm going to ask is, you know, how do you interrupt what seems like this sort of common sense? Um, you know, on the one hand, you know, you've mapped out or you've shown the kinds of, um, you know, infrastructural uh, environmental footprints and, 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 and potentially kind of toxic effects of this this company. Um, but on the other hand, you've shown how effective it is at, at sort of emphasizing its 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 sort of its 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 necessary existence for the social and economic sort of well-being of 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 the of Kildare and also maybe for for you know Ireland more generally. But how do you how do you interrupt that? I mean, you pointed to Thomas Reed, you you pointed to some of these small sort of um you know objections uh that have tended to be sort of shunted out and and kind of ridiculed but where do you see possibilities for for an interruption of that and that's not just in the case of intel but i think and 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 leak slip uh, selbridge Manuth, but i think more generally because what you've described there in terms of the power of these multinational corporations to sort of take the place of the state you see that happening you know all over ireland and you know um so I'm not giving you an easy question, but you know maybe you could have a have a stab at it. Um, yeah, I think that's there's a lot there. It's kind of like why I wanted to do this research and why I think there's further research required here. Um, I know this has probably gone on like a bit a bit long this like podcast recording, but it's there's so much to unpack with the operation of these multinationals that are kind of again like we said like wedded to the community in a certain way, wedded to the states like financial policy. Um and like just burrowed under the very into the into into our like ground and our soil and our water, um. So to kind of like to leave to to not go into some details, sometimes I even feel like leaving a lot out. Um, it can feel like you're scrambling to make a case for something that isn't a problem. That I feel like I I my fear would like say like doing this research and even like recording this is that like someone hears it and goes like that's you know there's no proof for that there's no like evidence that. Intel are great. Um, don't they give scholarships in the university? Don't they sponsor this, this, and this? Um, but yeah, like my focus on this is that like whatever way we look at things, we're facing an intensification, a struggle around climate systems breakdown in the very near future. Like it's happening right now, and the way we're going, we're kind of talking about. Um, these are very like run out quote, but like socialism or barbarism in a lot of ways. And that means something locally. It doesn't just mean something on a global level or on a vague level or on a top-down level. It means something in our everyday lives. And we live on like an island overrun by these tax-dodging and resource-ravenous multinationals. Like you said, it happens all over the country with a state dedicated to their profit at any cost. So tackling that problem is going to mean more than, you know, tax the polluters. This kind of like slogan here, and you'll hear from someone at the parliamentary left or from like more policy-driven approaches Though that will probably you know, be a factor in the solution, but if we're going to win, 
in like any kind of protracted struggle that will have to happen to stop these corporations carrying out their toxic um, and resource intensive work, it will have to happen on and be organized at a community level. So we need to understand um, what these corporations do, not only at the most a time of most intense crisis, not just when this like okay, this is another thing that I wanted to include but couldn't get access to is their um the emergency plan for the Intel site. Um was actually I was uh, did, like local councillors are reported as saying it was it came out maybe four or three years ago or two years ago, but it's not available online. It was very hard to get access to when it actually was up for consultation. You had to go to a local library, you had to ask for it, you can only get thirty minutes with it or something. But like the the crisis point could happen, the but the effects of it would be catastrophic, from what I've heard. People who've seen it, and the 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 emergency plan that is, so you know we can't just wait for that moment to happen. We have to be ready. We have to do our research and like understand the kind of how what Intel is as like a political and economic actor in our community. Who are they related to? What kind of forces can they mobilize to defend themselves? Um, and how would you know, what what would happen in the event that we had to come up against them in a fight? Um, so like, how are they tangibly placed in our communities, and what power and influence that they've built for themselves? Like, what how does that like, manifest itself? How do we see it? How do we gauge it? So I think it'd be really important to follow this up with more in-depth research. It's something I really would love to do more on, even though I think a lot of this can kind of border on investigative journalism. In some ways, it even like collects on a lot of the sources that I have collected. Um, but like, there's no politics without inquiry, and if we're going to win in any kind of struggle around environmental issues, um, or like social and economic ones as well, because they're all deeply interlinked, we need to understand the terrain we fight on. So like here where I live, that means Minute leaks of Celebridge, and Intel plunged in the middle of all that. So like, there's a sleeping antagonism in the community here. To go back to that, like what I said at the very beginning about the the strike for climate. They, you have, the people want to address climate change on a local level, but when it means confronting um, a very powerful actor who has a lot of influence, who distributes money to a lot of these community groups that have been starved by the state, that that kind of starts to poke at that sleep antagonism between the needs of a profit-driven multinational like Intel and the needs of the community and these community groups starved for funding or like consistently threatened by the precarity of living in this period of like capitalist development. So at some point in the future, that antagonism will be laid bare, either through further campaigning, through organizing, or through like, it, it could happen spontaneously. We don't really know, um, but it will happen. And we need to be prepared to engage with it in some way. And we need to be prepared to fight and win on that level. Great, thanks, John. That, that was that's very powerful. And I, I, I'm glad you looped it back to that moment, the climate strike, because I think, you know, actually, you know, what that does is it, it also shows the importance of this kind of inquiry, because it's exactly in those kinds of moments which seem kind of, you know, uh, minuscule in 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 relation to the kind of all the wider context you've described. But it's in those moments that you can actually make intervent. You can turn those kinds of incidents into something that can politicize people and and can kind of, you know, shift what would otherwise have been a. Uh, a tokenistic, uh, 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 you know, kind of demonstration. So I think, um, you know, the kind of work you're doing and others in this class are doing, um, 
you know, around, particularly around foreign direct investment, but really it's the, you know, the role of the state in enabling these kinds of operations and, um, and why, you know, environmental uh, activists, why, uh, you know, environmentalists more generally, you know, anyone who, who needs to, you know, care about these things and understand these things in, in greater depth and more critically. So thank you for your, your research and thanks for sharing it with us. And, um, um best of luck with with continuing the 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 struggle the work and the struggle and uh yeah thank you cheers patty it was a pleasure to be talking to you